Did you two kids pick your five yet? Yeah, I chose Sarah, Beth, Crystal, Jackie, and Jenny. I, I chose uh, Sarah, Beth, Crystal, Jackie, and Jenny. Your friends are hot. Are you going to do anything? Maybe you should have uglier friends. Who's in your fave five? <laughs> I love that commercial. I, it's one of my all-time favorite. And uh, So here's the question. Who's in your fave five? If you're not aware of what that means, on September the 14th and uh, all day, but especially in the morning, we want to have you pray over and, and uh, the five people that you would really, really want to bring and that God would put on your heart and you start praying for them. So to help you, we have a prayer card and you can either write their names. I, I already had some people walk up and they put pictures of the people in here. And uh, so they're praying over them, carrying it in their Bible. And then we have invite cards out there too. You can grab and go up to them and say, hey, you know what? On the 14th, uh, everybody at our church are asking the five most favorite people in their life to come. You're one of mine. Would you come? And uh, we really believe God's going to do amazing things that day. want to encourage you to be a part of that. So uh, please uh, tune into that. Also for the guys, Men's Fraternity starts that night. And the books are available today. They came in this week. Uh, we'd love for you to grab one, start praying and getting ready. Uh, we want to have men really rise up. And uh, this study tool will really help you. And so we want to encourage you to grab that also. So uh, those are things you want to know. Second um, Corinthians chapter eight is where you want to be. While you're turning there, uh, let me give you a quick heads up. Uh, at the end of the service today, I would like to talk with you uh, about Proposition Eight. Uh, I want to say something to our church family and have us think about that together. And so I think it's important we mention uh, why we are going to be diving in. And so I want you to be aware of that. And so I know some of you sometimes have to leave quickly, but we'd really love for you to sit and, and think through some things with us at the end. But for our time right now, let's pray. Father, I pray and I ask that you would really guide us as we look at what it means to live an authentic Christian life, a life in connection with you, a life embracing you and your ways and your truths, and God, that brings radical transformation in us and, and gives us a joy that's beyond comprehension and a life that's one that we look at and we're just amazed at, even when times aren't easy. So we pray you guide us now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you're off just a little, in a moment, it can affect you. And so on last Wednesday, my study day, I am just churning away and accomplishing more than I could possibly imagine. And I go to get a bagel and I pick up this incredible knife I bought. Uh, it's, it was a real uh, a planned fine for me. It cost 110 bucks for this particular knife because it's so sharp. And I grab the bagel and cut and slice off. Just the end of my thumb is gone. I just sliced it right off. And I'm standing there, and Pam goes, hey. And I look down, and I'm like, uh-oh. And it, the, the tip's just laying there. And I'm like, okay. I mean, it just like cut it like it was butter. And uh, good knife. But anyway, uh, I was off just a little. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details now. I'm saving that for Friday night when I'm with the fifth and sixth graders because I think they'll get into it. But because um, but, uh, Friday night, we'll get into that. But, but the point is, just that little moment, just being off that, that little bit, uh, it affected my life. Now, not in a major way. Good news is it's somewhat minor, but the rest of my day changed. I wasn't able to do what I needed to do. I wasn't effective in the kind of study I needed to have. And, and it just in a moment threw me and that can happen when you're off a little. Uh, Pam and I used to have direct TV. And uh, we got it because uh, we wanted the incredible high definition picture. 
And I don't know, I'm a sports fan and I wanted to watch sports as it's meant to be watched. And so we got this. And, but we started having some issues because the upper end channels on the HD part of it just weren't coming in. And so we were continually having to go watch and just kind of more of the digital analog signal, which wasn't quite as sharp as crisp. And so I just kept getting by and getting by and this huge game came on and I'm watching it. And, and I'm sitting there the whole time realizing that, that this isn't what I paid for. This isn't what I desired. So finally I called DirecTV and they sent a guy out and he looked at it and he said, do you realize that you're about a half a degree off in the aiming of your satellite dish? He goes, but a half a degree off here is thousands of miles off in space so that you're not connecting with the satellite. He said, I'm amazed you're getting any HD picture at all. And uh, then he tuned it in and it connected correctly. And now I had this vibrant, incredible, amazing picture. And and you know what? A a little being a little off, being off in an area made a huge difference in at least that, that particular area of our life. Now, where I'm going is this. Paul, and if you're new to us, uh, I need to tell you, we're teaching straight through the book of 2 Corinthians. And Paul is talking about what it means to live the authentic Christian life. I mean, not the facade that so many people live that, that always causes them to wish there was something more, but this authentic, amazing experience with Jesus. And, and he begins to teach them. He says, when you grab hold of this, amazing things occur in your life. And we saw in chapter 2. He said that, you know what? You have unquenchable optimism. It doesn't matter the circumstances or, or what factors are environmentally around you. You end up just finding this amazing faith-oriented optimism, uh, knowing God's going to work. Then he says, you also have in varying success. You always say, thanks be to Christ who always leads us in triumph. And you find that, that while there may be battles to fight and things to en- en- endure or occur, the bottom line is because you're living the authentic Christian life, you always end up with success and victory. And then the question becomes, how do you experience this? And then this is, becomes key. He said, it's not by the works of the law. It's by the power of grace. And the more we live in the graciousness of the Lord and let grace, and the word grace is a Greek word, charis. It means a gift. More that gift is put inside you. It causes a transformation. And that transformation takes place the more you're in connection with Christ. And, and, and he goes on to talk about this amazing life and how it's lived out. Now, it would probably make sense to you if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, that if we're going to talk about the authentic Christian life that Paul would talk about the area of finances. And I know we talked about this just a few months ago in a series talking about the need to be debt-free, but I want to remind you we're teaching through 2 Corinthians and and we want to look at what Paul has to say about this Uh, because it's an issue of the heart. It's a definition of our life. Uh, In our series a few months ago, I shared something and I know I'm writing this. Nothing defines your, your faith better in an outward way than how you handle your finances. There's no better definition. And that's not my opinion, it's scripture. That's what the scripture teaches. We're gonna see that in a minute. Now in saying that, I wanna just remind remind all of us, including myself, that this is an area we need to deal with sensitively because there is a lot of abuse when it comes to it. And we need to have a balanced view of what scripture says. But I also wanna remind you that it's a cultural thing that very often we get to this and we're like, whoa, don't talk about it. That, that isn't true in other cultures. Other cultures have different ways of dealing with things. For instance, in China, if we were in China right now, whenever the pastor gets boring, 
people stand up. If I was preaching and you got bored in China, you'd just stand up and look at me. And uh, you know what? I, maybe that is the truth here. That's why some of you get up. But anyway, uh, you know, but it's, it's the cultural norm in there. And so I, I, that's how they handle it. Well, well another cultural setting is uh, a, a friend of mine experienced. And his dream was to hear E.V. Hill, back when Pastor Hill was alive, to hear him preach live. And uh, Pastor Hill was uh, considered one of the best preachers that has ever existed in the United States. He was the pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in downtown Los Angeles. And my friend Les, man, he just, uh, had to, he didn't live here. So he had to kind of uh, really do, go through some, some motions to get everything correct. And he arrived at this all-black church and he goes inside. And to be honest, it would be different than being here. And uh, the first shock he had was this, Evie Hill wasn't there that day. And he was like, oh. And then the guy comes out to preach, and, and Les was telling me he was horrible. Not only I don't get to hear Evie Hill, this guy was bad. And he is preaching, and he's preaching, and all of a sudden, this is a different cultural setting, the guy stops, and he says, brothers and sisters, I'm dying up here. Can you help me? <laughs> and a lady screams out, help him, Jesus, help him. And he goes to try to preach. And a guy yells, you got it, you got it. Go, go, go. And he's preaching more. And another guy goes, you're getting me, you're getting me. And someone else says, it's God. And they're going. And by the time he was midway through, Les said it was the best sermon he ever heard in his life. <laughs> now, I know a lot of you whisper, help him, Jesus. But... Uh, <laughs> The other thing that was different, are you ready for this? He opened up the bulletin, and in the bulletin was the name of every person that attends the church and how much money they had given the week before. <laughs> is that a little different? Uh, but you know what is, is what I want to say is that there's a difference in how people approach this, but there's a scriptural view, no matter what cultural setting we're in, that we need to embrace. And that's what I want you to have gra- grab hold of. See, money is one of those things that we want to tend to run from or shy away from. But the bottom line is, it is a matter of the heart. But I want you to catch what Paul says. In chapter 8 and chapter 9, he's going to say this. Now, this is a mind-blowing thing if you haven't thought about it. Now, the first part maybe isn't so mind-blowing. It's an issue of faith and faithfulness. We would all agree with that. But you ready for this? Paul said it's an issue of grace. It's a gracious work to give. He says that in chapter 8, verse uh, 1. He talks about it as a grace. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, this charis of God. This, and what is he going to get out in a minute? That you get to give to God. He says, that's a gift from God that we get. If you look down at verses six and seven, it says, so we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning or that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and in love, we inspired in you, see you also abound in this gracious work. Twice there, he calls the the giving to, to the Lord, the giving to the needs of the saints. He says, I want you to know this is a gracious work of God. Jesus said, it's a matter of the heart. And in Matthew chapter six, verse 19, here's what the Lord says. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the key line. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For he either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now what is he talking about? Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth. He says, you know what? It's, it's where the heart is. He says, you know what? It's how you view things. If you're off in this area, there's a darkness in you that doesn't allow you to connect with God in an amazing way. And that's what he, Jesus is getting at. He says, this is something vital to your relationship with the Lord. And that's why Paul is going to say in the opening seven verses, it really is a matter of the grace of God and it's a matter of faith and faithfulness. Look what it says in chapter eight, verse one. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this was not as we had expected, But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us. Now notice this next phrase, by the will of God. Now I'm going to read on, but before we do that, I got to say that probably this won't surprise you, but I I know for sure if you said, Chuck, what is the most asked question you get? This is the one I get. How do I know God's will? Now in the fall, we're going to go into how you would know God's specific will for your life. But I think most of you already know this, that while all of you have, have things that God specifically wills for you, uniquely to you, God has an overarching will for all believers. It involves all of us. It's God's will that none of us commit murder. Would you agree with that? It's God's will that none of us be involved in sexual immorality. It's God's will that we don't lie. It's God's will that we grow in Christ's likeness. All of us share in that. You ready for this? All of us share in what he just said here. This is done according to the will of God. It's God's will that you give. It's God's will that he become first in the area of finances for you. That's God's will for your life. Now, verse 6 says, So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness and in love, we inspired in you. See that you abound in this gracious work also. Now, verse 8, I do want to read to you. Look what it says. I am not speaking this as a command. I'm not doing this as a command, he said. Now, why? But as approving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. He said, you know why I'm not commanding you to do this? Because number one, it would ruin it. And number two, I'm not gonna command it because this is a chance to see how sincere your love for God is. And it's a proof of that. It's an amazing outworking of that. And so he says, I want you to grab hold of this. But if you look back at verse two, I want you to grab an amazing equation, an amazing equation. It's this, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Now, in the kingdom of God, there are a lot of things that just do not make sense in the world. Uh, In God's ways, there's a lot of things that he does that just in the outer world, people beyond us, they, they just don't make sense. It's like, okay, I don't see how that could happen. I don't see how that could work. And this amazing equation is one of them. Uh, uh, And I want you to grab hold of it. What he's saying is this. He's saying, in great ordeal of affliction. When we have this great ordeal of affliction, 
But we also have an abundance of joy and deep overflow, or deep poverty. Now, now notice these three things. He says deep, uh, uh, great affliction plus abundant joy plus deep poverty equals what? Great liberality. Now, now, see, now I want you to think about this because uh, if you're new to the church, about a year and a quarter ago, when I first came, we were in some financial straits that were desperate. And did you guys all notice that that happened at the time the economy took a turn? So we already had some issues and the economy goes down. And I would have people coming up to me saying, Chuck, do you realize, do you realize with the economy like this, it's going to be really difficult. People probably aren't going to give. But I want to tell you, isn't that the opposite of what happened here? And you know why? Because people here are sold out for the Lord. This, this, that's what you start picking up on. And here's the thing. Paul said, I know how afflicted you are. I know how tough the times you are that you live in. I know how painful it is. I know how, how there are places you get hurt and attacked, and it's just tough on you. He says, but I know something else. I see amazing joy in you. Now, by the way, all of us who are in relationship with God, we experience that. When we have those moments of affliction, those times where things go the opposite we want them to, we experience this amazing joy from God. I, I, we connect to him in a deeper way. I really truly did. When I cut off my finger and I'm standing there looking at it bleed. And I thought, do I go to the hospital or not? I mean, I'm trying to decide, bandage it myself or go. And then when I saw how much was missing, it's like, go, go. And it won't stop, you know. And, and, and I'm driving down there and I just sense the Lord. And I'm saying, God, this just kind of put an end to my plans. And God, to put this in your plans. And, and, and it kind of took me a while to get there. And I go to Kaiser Riverside and, and I get in the room with them. And, and you know what happens? I, I really sense just God was with me. And I ended up getting to share Christ with two different people. I really did. Uh, one of whom, I don't know if they're here right now, was a woman and who has a college daughter. And we talked for a long time about the Lord. She said she'd be coming to Crossroads today. And, and, and there was another guy. And I promise I didn't tell him about the blood of Christ. Okay. But, uh, um, but, but it was, and I walked out of there saying, God, this was worth everything. Now, I don't think that God cut off my thumb. I think he probably laughed as I cut it off. But, you know, the reality was, as the Lord said, you know what, Chuck, you can have joy in this. Now, all of us who've experienced times of deep pain, and I have too, when, man, it just, you look around and everything's falling apart, it's amazing how joy wells up in those moments. And uh, it, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. And joy can give birth to happiness, but joy is better and deeper and more incredible. And Paul says, you know what? When you experience God, you experience that even when there's great affliction. So economically, times are tough and jobs are on the line and, and people around you are in trouble. And he says, you know, I see the great affliction you have, but I see the great joy you have. And then he says this, he goes, and you don't even have that much. You're in extreme poverty. But he goes, in a Christian, you know what that gives birth to? Overflowing liberality. In the world, that doesn't make sense. But God loves to do things that turn the world upside down. And, and so that's what God's saying here. He says, I want you to see that's how it works. It's about putting God first. It's about understanding what's important. It's about not missing out on that. Now, the next thing he says is this. He says, I want you to know that uh, when it comes to this time of giving, that you need to do it in a sacrificial way. He says it's, it, it's clearly a sacrifice when you have poverty. It's clearly a tough thing to do. But Jesus says he would never miss that. One of those moments that Jesus just had to be a part of. 
he uh, on purpose put himself in a place to witness something and point it out to others. It's talked about in Luke 21 verse 1. It says, and Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this widow put in more than all of them. For they out of their surplus put in the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Now, I want to say this as clearly as I can. We're not asking today, and I even want to caution you not to write a check for everything you have in your account. I know you might say, do we have to caution that? A few weeks ago, an incredibly great young guy got in the back room. He said, I'm here, and I want to commit to give 80% of my income to the Lord. And I said, whoa, no, no, no. I said, let's bring some balance to this. And, and we had to kind of talk him through, you know, what it, God wants and, and understanding that and, and bringing balance to the situation. But in this woman's case, she gave everything she had. And the Lord stood there looking at that and he said, I'm not going to miss this. I'm not going to miss the extreme, powerful love and liberality and generousness this woman has. God doesn't miss it. Uh, When I was the senior pastor at Christ Church of the Valley, there's a a, a ton of people there that I just love and and know. But one man in particular stands out today. And and I I know this man, he's got an amazing heart and just loves to give to people and energy and time and, and and. he, I, he lives with his mom, and I know they, they don't have a lot of things, a lot of means. And one day, he walks up to me, and he says, hey, Chuck, I want to give you this. And he hands me some money, and I'm, I go, no, 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 no. And he goes, no, no, I, I want you and Pam to go out to dinner. And I said, hey, you know what, I, I'm okay, and, and we're actually, we're doing good. And he goes, I, I, don't, I don't care about that. He said, uh, my mom and I were talking, and we just want to make sure you and Pam have a good dinner. And, and I looked down at it. And I said, are you sure? He goes, yeah. And he, he got kind of emotional. And, and be honest, I want you to know I did too. Uh, and I guess, you know, when you get 50 years old and cut off your thumb, you get emotional. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but I, I just was, I went to Pam and, and we went out to dinner and we decided to go out exactly to a place that that would cover. And we sat there and I got to tell you, that was an amazing night for us. And I, re- I was moved. Uh, did we need it? No. Uh, did, it, did we appreciate it, you bet. We didn't miss what it meant. Well, he started making this a monthly thing. And I kept saying to him, hey, you know what? Honestly, I'm probably doing better than you are. Actually, I was. And he goes, Chuck, I don't care. He says, my mom and I just, we want to do this for you. Now, I want to tell you this. You ready? God doesn't need your money. But God's never going to miss the fact you give to him. He's never going to miss what it means. And that's where we go into this gracious moment with God where he receives from us and we get blown away by it. Uh, Pam and I uh, do love to go out to eat. And so one night we went to Claim Jumper, which is one of my all-time favorite restaurants. And uh, we walked in and I scanned the restaurant and looking for servers who, who were a part of our ministry. And I spotted not one, but three. And I thought, okay. Uh, uh, this is going to be interesting because we've got to choose who's going to be the server we have. And so I go to the, the hostess and I said, look, here's three names. And uh, we'll just take whatever station opens up first of these three. And so what happens, it was Mindy and it was Joy and it was Jenny. And, and so they opened up one of them and we went in and we see the others and we're going, hey, 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 you guys, and we're hugging them. We just said, hey, we just took whoever's open first. They go, oh, we don't care. But then we sat down and all three run over. And they said, we ask our manager and they're going to let all three of us wait on you. And I thought, oh, that is awesome. Except, there is a little, little except here. Um, whenever we do that, we always want to tip well. 
So now I got to give three tips. Um, I mean, right? And, and we want to tip in a, in a way that has meaning because I know two of the girls, all three are in college, two are engaged, one's about to be engaged. And, and so we want to bless them. And so I looked at Pam when they ran away. I said, you know what this means? And Pam goes, I, it's worth every penny. And I said, yeah. So we're planning on just really tipping big, all three of them. And, and it makes the meal even more fun knowing we're going to do that. So we're talking, we're laughing, we meet the manager and we're waiting for the bill. And the manager walks over and he said, hey, yeah. The three of them, they divided it up and they took care of your meal. And I thought, well, whoa. So now we can't tip on that, right? I had two servers last service say, oh yeah, you can. Okay, but uh, I thought we couldn't. So anyway, what happened is, is they did that for us. And do you realize what was going on that night? We were competing to bless each other. And not in a negative way. It was a positive competition to show love. Do you know that this is what we're talking about here, this amazing area of grace? It's a grace, it's a gift, where you actually are trying to bless God, but then he keeps blessing you back, and you go to bless him, and he blesses you, and it's a competition, isn't it? A positive one. And and, and that's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, do you grab hold of how powerful this is? But it's, it's something else. Their liberality in the midst of poverty, what does it demonstrate? It demonstrates amazing faith in God. It's an area of faith. You know, it's interesting that in Luke chapter 20, or Leviticus chapter 25 and Leviticus chapter 26, God told the children of Israel, said, when you go into the land, I want you to do something. One day a week, I want you to rest. I want you to take a Sabbath rest. Now, now most of you know that, but are you ready for what he said next? Once every seven years, I want you to take a year off. And I don't want you to do anything. I want you just to, to, to take a whole year. Now, now think about what that means. When it came to that seventh year, they were not to plant anything. They were only to eat what came up out of the ground out of what they had not planted. And, and they would not plant till the next year. And so by not planting anything, they ended up having to trust God that they would get two years worth of food and not to put anything in. Now, you can imagine how they thought, well, how am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to go on with life? How are we going to make any income? How are we going to? And, and, and they could never, ever bring themselves to do it. We know that not one time did they honor that Sabbath year. Not once. And God said to them, would you trust me? Would you trust me that I will bless you in such a way that you'll not only have one year income, but two? Will you trust me in such a way that I'll bless you like this? And, and the children of Israel could never bring themselves to trust God with this. But the Corinthian Christians could. They brought themselves to trust God. They brought themselves to say, I believe. And to say, God, I trust you with this. And I'm going to do it. And we need to understand it takes faith to do this. If we're going to do it in the right way, it's going to take faith. But there's a a flow of scripture, a pattern of scripture you can't miss. And we find it all over the place. But let me center in on 1 Kings 17, where the story of Elijah and the widow. Listen to this story. 17 verse 8 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. And behold, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. Now remember, God said, I've already commanded her to do this. It's in her heart. I'm moving her to do this. Verse 11 said, as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. 
But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in a jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go prepare for me and my son that we may eat and die. This is it. It's all the food I have. And after it's over, we're going to starve to death. And you're asking me to give to you. I mean, she was willing to stop and give the water. And now he says, I want you to give this. And she said, I, I'm going to, we don't have it. We're, we're, we're on the end. Verse 13. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. I want you to trust God. I want you to put it out there first. I want you to, to go with this prompting in your spirit. And then in verse 14, it says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor are of oil be empty, until the day the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So he went, or she went and did according to the word of Elijah. She and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. I want to ask you, is the God of Elijah our God? And does he still work today? And the bottom line is, you see this over and over again. God says, all right, are you ready to trust me? Are you ready to put me first? And when you do, I'm going to begin to do things that are beyond you. Notice some things. Number one, she gave out of her poverty, just like the Corinthian Christians. He says, that's what you're doing too. The next thing you got to catch is it was God's will for her to do it. God said to Elijah, I put it in her heart. Remember what it says here? It says that the people who were doing this, according to verse 5, are doing it by the will of God. Now, I want to say something, and you, you really think this through. But I know this. I know it to be true. And I'm going to ask you to wrestle it out. Every born-again Christian here has the Holy Spirit. And every born-again Christian that has the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's prompting you to give to God first. That's God's will. And if you're not doing it, then you, you're quenching. You might say, oh, no, no, I've never felt the prompting. That's almost scarier because you're ignoring it. Have you not been reading in Luke chapter 6 in your Christian walk? Have you not read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? Have you read, never read Malachi? Uh, the book of Leviticus actually says this, never appear before the Lord your God empty-handed. Uh, it's all over Scripture. And, and why? Because nothing defines us better. And God knows, are you going to trust me? This is a tangible area of trust, a tangible area of worship. And, and the Holy Spirit for sure has done this inside you. The question is, are you obeying? And by the way, again, God, God isn't going, well, I have this huge need. God goes, you have the need. I have the need. Because when we do this, it puts our life into the hands of God. And we're not serving two masters anymore. We're serving one. And it makes all the difference. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says this. And without faith... It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Why is this area so important? Because it's an area of us trusting God, putting God first and saying, God, I'm doing this out of faith in you, knowing that you reward, knowing you bless beyond measure, knowing I can trust you in this. In Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out on you blessing until it overflows. Now, if you're new to Crossroads, you might be tempted to come up to me and say, because you weren't here in the series we did a few weeks ago, hey, this is Old Testament. But I want to remind you, 2 Corinthians 8 is New Testament, Right? 
And look over at 2 Corinthians 9, and look what it says here in verse 6. It says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, but God, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, you shouldn't do it under compulsion. Paul said, I'm not going to command you to do it. If you said, okay, if I walk out of here and don't do it, is God not going to love me? He's still going to love you. That's not the issue. The question is, do you love him? How sincere is your love for him? The question is, are you ready to say, Lord, it's all commitment. I'm not going to hold back. Jesus in Luke chapter 6, again, New Testament, said this in verse 38, give and it will be given unto you. They will pour it into your lap, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by the standard of measure you measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, there's no doubt it takes faith. There's no doubt it, this graciousness of God to be acted about and we have to be willing to do it. But it's interesting to me that this group of people who were suffering great affliction and extreme poverty begged to do it. Look what it says in chapter 8, verse 4. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. He goes, you were begging to give. You wanted to give. You couldn't help but to give. He says, that's what's happening here. And um, man, it's incredible. Now, I know that there are probably three thought processes going on in this building, at least three. Are you ready? There's a group of you right now who said, man, I wish we were in China because I'd stand up. You know, (laughs) this is boring. Now, there's a group of you who think that. There's another group of you right now that are thinking, man, I'm glad when this day's over. I want to get on to something else. I don't like this being talked about. And there's another big group of you who are saying, preach it. Yeah, there you go. And... uh, and, and you, know why, you know why that group exists? You ready? Because those are those of us, and, and I'm going to put myself in this, we have found the amazing grace of this happening in our life, and we want the rest of you to experience it. It's not about, when you think, yeah. When you go, oh, it's about money, you miss the point. It's about heart. And it's about connection with God. It's about seeing God move and work. And, and, and I can't tell you the number of times I've watched God just do that in Pam and mine's life. And I've seen him do it in others. And, and, and it's just this amazing experience with the Lord that we want everybody to be in on. Uh, and when you know God's love, you want other people to know God's love. And when you know God's amazing working in this way, you want other people to. And that's why this group exists here. Saying, please grab hold of the amazing wonder of what it means to do this. In verse 5, notice that it says it's the will of God. But I want you to look down at verse 7 and notice this. I think this may be a little mind-blowing for some of us. It says, but just as you abound in everything. He's saying in all the Christian life and everything you do, you're abounding. Amazing things are happening. Notice this. In faith, utterance, knowledge, and all earnestness, in love, we inspired in you. See that you abound in this gracious work also. Did you see what he equates this with? He says, this is the same as having faith. And we would say faith is of paramount importance in the Christian life. This is the same as uttering praises to God and prayers to God. This is the same as having deep knowledge. And and it says in 2 Peter that by the knowledge of Christ, you have everything you need that, that pertains to life and godliness. And then he says, it's in the zeal of God. And in Titus 2, it says that Jesus died so that he might have a people zealous for him. And we know how important that is. And then we'd say Love, love, love. And this is equated with love. Now, some people might grab me and say, Chuck, Chuck, okay, I kind of get where you're going, but you got to remember that love is the greatest of all. 
Uh, uh, 2 Timothy 1.5, it says that the goal of our instruction is love. Love from a pure heart and a sincere faith. Uh, all of us know 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And you'd say, you can't say it equates. And I'd say, well, yeah, I can. And here's why. Because where your treasure is, your heart is also. It's an issue of love. See, that's what we're talking about right now is a loving, amazing, gracious, faithful moving of God in our lives and our returning back to him out of amazing, great, wonderful love with the zeal that we want to do it. Now, it needs to be a freedom of giving that we do it not by command. We do it out of a, a, a joyous, cheerful heart. There, by the way, there needs to be a quality in giving. Uh, verse 13 says, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At the present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. Verse 15 says, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not lack. Uh, The idea is that, that, you know what, it's not about, you know, who gives the most. You know, we don't go, well, because someone gave $100,000, that they're better than someone who gave 10. It's a question of equality. Are we giving in a percentage that makes sense to our sacrificial giving to God. But, but what we're most getting at is this, it's the heart. It's the heart. You see, if you were to ask, what is the dream for this church? I, I think we would all agree on this. You ready? I, I really would be surprised if you don't. Our dream is that we would be a family that is totally 100% all out committed to the Lord. And that when someone begins to waver in that, that we help them up. We encourage them. Uh, You know, that's the goal. The goal here is 100% commitment. That we are living the lives God wants us to. Experiencing the things God wants us to. In connection with God. That that God is speaking in your heart. My prayer is the voice of the Lord is not rare in your life, but is abundant in your life. That the love of God, the movement of God, the, the promptings of God, and the experience of God is all there. And it's, it's in every single area. It's in your job. It's in your family. It's in your friends. It's how God guides you to things. It's when God says to you, I want to use you to move in the life of someone. It just becomes all embracing beyond anything we can imagine. That's our great desire is that we, ha- we see this happen. And, and so I want to tell you something is that Jesus, he gave everything for you because you're worth it to him. I want to say that again. He gave everything for you. If you were the only person he would have gonna, that needed to be died for, he would have done it. He would have done it joyfully, and it's because you are worth it, you individually. And he has a life for you to live that's amazing. And, and when we, I get passionate about this, it's because I, I know how much you matter to him. And I want you to experience the things he has with you and for you. And today, here's the question. Is that a description of your life? Could you say, yes, I am. I, I, I just sense them. I read the word, it leaps off the page. I, I'm praying and seeing answers. I, I, I'm having myself directed into things I don't even want to do sometimes. And then I'm looking at what God does with it. And, and, and I hope you could say that's your experience because I want to tell you, if you're not in a close, intimate connection with God, I can promise you this, it's not because he doesn't want it with you. And today, if you want it with him, if you're not having it, not experiencing it, then what do you do? The Bible says you pray. You talk to God about it. And what I want to encourage you to do, and 
If you right now aren't in a close connection with him, in a moment we're going to have a time of prayer, I'm going to invite you right where you're sitting to say, you know what, I want this. I, I really just want to know him. I want to know his love. I want it to be personal and intimate, as the Bible says. And the Bible says, how do you do it? Well, you call on the name of the Lord. You call him your Lord and you say, I want to give my life to you. And I'm going to lead a prayer for you to do that. For some of you, today's the day to recommit yourself. Today's the day, because you at one time were close to God, but there's something missing. Today's the day for you to say, you know what? I, I want to recommit. I'm going to pray that prayer again. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if God stirs and touches you and you want to reconnect with him or connect with him, then I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper a prayer with me. Let's pray. Father, this is an important area of scripture we just looked at. They all are, though. Everything in your word is amazing and incredible. And, and it's all meant to guide us and to, to prompt us and to even sometimes prod us into a closer walk and relationship with you. And Lord, we know it's also meant to guide us and prompt us and even prod us to be who you've always created us to be, to live the amazing life we're to live, one that's beyond anything we can imagine, one that beyond description. And we sit back and we look at what you do and we just get amazed. And God, today, there isn't a man or woman here that, that you don't have this for. So may we all live with you. May we all have sensitive hearts to be guided by you. May we all find victory over things that are hard for us. And may we all, Lord, may we all be the people that we're supposed to be individually and even more together. And I ask right now, I ask that your Holy Spirit come in this room. Father, I, I pray for anybody today that needs to make a commitment to you or recommit. I ask, oh Lord God, that you would begin to literally stir up on them and within them, that they would sense you. Lord, please, we beg for them now. And I pray that they would have, have it inside themselves with your help to make this the moment where they pray this prayer. And it all changes, all for the good. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you pray for those who need to make a decision? But I'm going to lead that prayer right now. And today, if you are ready to either commit your life to Christ, you sense him calling you to do it, or you want it, or you're ready to recommit, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper this prayer. But I'd like to know who God's calling right now. And so if you're ready to pray this prayer with me, would you let me know we're going to do this together by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me, and then you can put it down. Right now, if the Lord's touching you and calling you, praise God. And for you, both of you, that's so awesome. For you, praise the Lord. That is so incredible. Praise God. Wow. Way up there and right here. Praise the Lord for you. Wow. And right here and right here, both of you in this section. Praise God. And over here, praise the Lord, man. Right back there, praise God. And right here in the center, praise the Lord for you too. Let me take a second more. Oh, praise the Lord for you. Wow. The reason I'm asking you to do this is it helps me to know who God's touching. And all of you, I thank you. Anybody else yet I haven't seen, just lift your hand for a second. Praise God. That is awesome. Wow. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to, wow, way, way up there. Praise the Lord for you. Man, pray way back here. Praise God for you and over here for you too. All over the building, God's speaking to hearts. And so right now, all of you that God's touching and you're ready for this, let's just pray this prayer together. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. 
to heal me of my hurts and to make me new and alive. So I say yes. And I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. I give my life to you. Help me be who you've always created me to be. And help me live the life you always have had for me to live. And then draw me close to you. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for all of you that prayed that prayer. Praise the Lord. Wow. Today, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something. And this is going to take some courage, but it's not meant in any way to intimidate or embarrass you. I'm going to ask that if you prayed that prayer, when we stand to sing, that you make your way to an aisle and people would love to let you out. Come down here for a moment. Let me meet you. Then we're going to ask you to go in this room called the living room. And we want to give you a Bible and some other materials to help you have some intentional steps to take to grow in Christ. We don't want you to walk out of here not sure what to do. We want to show you some things. We also want to get your name so we can have someone pray for you all this week. But let me tell you why we're going to ask you to do this. In the Bible, whenever anybody had a private encounter with God, they were always told to go share it. Uh, The tabernacle was a place. If you had this amazing experience, you'd go to the tabernacle and tell what happened and make the dedication to the Lord. Uh, And then the temple was the place and Jesus would send people to synagogues or, or he'd say, go tell all the village or your family. The bottom line is God had always designed the next step after a moment like this to go and share it. And I know what's gonna happen. For some of you, it's gonna get kind of emotional. You'll be tempted not to come. But I wanna encourage you, step out, come. Because as those emotions well up, you're going to sense your connection with God deep. And this is a part of that worship experience you're going to have with him. And so don't be afraid of it. I want to ask you to step out and embrace it. If you want to have someone come with you, just say, hey, look, I made a decision. Come with me. You can. But no matter what, please come. Also, if you've never been baptized into Christ by your choice... Uh, in a conscious worship experience with him. I also want to invite you to come to set a time to do that, even if it's at the beach. Uh, Just come down and, and come in here so we can set that. Most of all, if you prayed that prayer today, please come. Let's stand together. If you prayed the prayer right now, please step out and come.